right now on Matter of Fact. Will the Supreme Court make it easier to carry firearms in public? Well, this could have a big impact on the number of guns on city streets across America. How this pivotal ruling could change everyday life for millions of Americans. And when it comes to business, why aren't more women in charge? Wade into a cranberry bog to find out how this woman is thriving in a male-dominated industry. Plus, overextended and overworked. More than 50% of nurses are discouraged and showing symptoms of depression and showing symptoms of burnout. Why America's emergency rooms suddenly need critical care. I'm Soledad O'Brien. Welcome to Matter of Fact. It is a blockbuster term for the Supreme Court. The nine justices are hearing a crucial gun rights case. It could change the way citizens carry firearms in everyday life, possibly leading to more guns on the streets and threatening restrictions in places like movie theaters and in restaurants. The case, New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin, challenges New York's gun permit law. The law restricts the carrying of guns outside the home to those who can demonstrate a need to do so for self-protection. The last time the court issued major decisions on gun rights was in 2008 and then 2010. Conservative victories that established the right to keep a gun at home for self-defense. The question now is whether there's a similar Second Amendment right to carry a firearm in public. Joining me now, constitutional law scholar Adam Winkler, who teaches at UCLA. He's the author of Gunfight, the battle over the right to bear arms in America. Professor Adam Winkler, nice to talk to you. What is the Supreme Court specifically looking at in this particular case? The Supreme Court is deciding the constitutionality of New York's restrictions on concealed carry. Most states allow you to carry a gun as long as you get a permit, and it's pretty easy to get a permit. But New York and California and a handful of other states make it very difficult to get a permit, and the challengers are saying that violates the Second Amendment. So the implications, of obviously, the case is not just about New York when the Supreme Court is looking at something uh, very closely. It has much broader implications. What, what are the bigger impacts potentially? Well, this could have a big impact on the number of guns on city streets across America. Wherever states have very uh, strong restrictions on concealed carry, those restrictions may be lifted in the wake of a Supreme Court decision striking down New York's law. But this case also has broader implications for the gun safety reform movement more generally, because I think the court is now signaling that it is going to strengthen Second Amendment protections, which could mean that laws like bans on assault weapons or high-capacity magazines could be next uh, on the Supreme Court's list of laws to reconsider. One of the most surprising things is that it wasn't until 2008 that the Supreme Court said that the Second Amendment protected an individual right. The Supreme Court in 2008, in a case called District of Columbia against Heller, said that the Second Amendment protects your right to have a handgun in your home for personal protection. But the court left open a bunch of questions, such as, do you have a right to carry a gun in public? And which kinds of weapons are protected by the Second Amendment? I thought Justice Alito said this, all these people with illegal guns, they're on the subway walking around the streets, but ordinary, hardworking, law-abiding people know they can't be armed. What does that tell us about Alito outside of, he obviously is a very strong supporter of the Second Amendment? 
Well, I think that Justice Alito uh, buys into that NRA argument that the only thing that's going to stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. And uh, there are a lot of guns in America. A lot of bad guys do have guns. We can question whether it's true that a good guy with a gun will actually do much to prevent the danger that's caused by a bad guy with a gun. Uh, but Justice Alito clearly believes in a very strong and robust Second Amendment and believes that people should have the right to defend themselves with firearms almost anywhere they go. With the conservative Supreme Court, it seems pretty obvious to me the way that they're both signaling that they're going to go and and thusly the way they're going to go. What do you think? It does seem like, uh, as everyone predicted, that these new Trump justices were going to make a big impact on the Supreme Court. I think this court is prepared uh, to make some serious changes in American constitutional law. Uh, and this gun case is really the beginning. Professor Adam Winkler, very nice to talk to you. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Up next, why don't we see more women running farms? There are plenty of women on farms. They just don't consider themselves farmers. How this woman is beating the odds in an industry run by men. And you have power. Teaching kids why and how climate matters. Plus, are overflowing emergency rooms the new normal? It's twice what the national average has been over the past several years. So people are clearly sicker. It's been hard on all of us. Research shows the brunt of the economic burden has disproportionately fallen on women, even more so on women of color. From the first days of the pandemic shutdown, women were more likely to leave the workforce. And now there are new concerns. Women entrepreneurs, for example, report sharp declines in financial support during the pandemic, which raises the question, why aren't more women at the top of businesses? Our special correspondent, Joey Chen, wades into the conversation. You don't have to be hip deep in a bog to learn that just about everything you ever thought you knew about cranberries is probably wrong. People don't realize that we're not in this kind of get up all year round and that we're not walking through water all the time. Other surprises? Most of the world's supply comes from central Wisconsin. The fruit doesn't grow underwater. That's just for harvesting. And those cranberry guys? Hello, we're Ocean Spray Farmers here at our... Yeah, they were actors. Meet the real thing. My name is Amber Bristow, and I'm a fifth-generation cranberry grower. The family business was passed down from her mother's side. Both Amber Bristow's father and husband married into cranberries. Truth is, women have long taken the lead in farming this all-American fruit. The jelly, now ubiquitous on Thanksgiving tables, was originally canned and sold by Elizabeth Lee, a New Jersey farmer and co-founder of Ocean Spray, today the world's largest cranberry cooperative. Why don't we see more women running farms? There are plenty of women on farms. They just don't consider themselves farmers. Despite her experience, when the Russell Resin and Sun Farm considered its next generation of leaders, nobody assumed that Amber would be the one to lead the farm. Right. I have an older brother. Um, his name is Rusty. And my dad, I think he kind of focused more of his teaching habits onto my brother than myself because, you know, you just kind of assume that the son is always going to come back and take things over. 
Bristow is quick to add she's always been treated as an equal on the farm, and she hopes her son is part of its future. But her experience underscores a tough reality for women who seek to be in charge. Um, we have a Trader Joe's hot pepper sauce. We have tuna company run by a man. Um, you know, almost everything, I think just about everything in this drawer is a company that's run by a man. Alana Samuels finds proof in her pantry. The Time Magazine writer spent a week trying to buy only from women-owned or women-led companies. What did you think you were gonna find? I didn't realize that the products that I use every day, whether it be food or clothes or baby toys, most of those companies are run by men, and that made it much, much harder than I thought it would be. Do you think it would be a surprise to most people? I think in 2021, it would be a surprise. You know, maybe 20 years ago, not so much. But I think about 10 years ago, there was this discussion about the end of men. Men are on the decline. It's woman time. Um, and women are really going to start being in these prominent positions. And, you know, it's 2021, and that is just not true. The data bears it out. This year's Fortune 500, which tracks the nation's biggest companies, includes a record number of women CEOs. But that's still only 8%. And for many women entrepreneurs, the holdup is still money. We've seen a lot more no's than yes. Um, I mean, you know, I think that's tough to raise that capital. Yeah, very, very, very tough to raise capital. Raham Fagiri's online furniture marketplace, Apt Deco, found support and funding from Hearst Lab, an incubator run by and for women. It's going to take more funds, more women in venture capital, more women in leadership positions. So it's really building that ecosystem where you have a lot more people that look like you in decision-making positions to get to that. Back on the farm, Amber Bristow is seeing new growth and respect for her as a leader and as a farmer. People recognize me and know that I'm not just, you know, like a blonde bimbo out here <laughs> just, just for a show. Uh, I'm actually, I'm doing the work as well. Doing the work and making decisions as a leader in the future of this business. In Warrens, Wisconsin, I'm Joey Chen for Matter of Fact. Coming up, she's got a 100% success rate when it comes to teaching kids about science. Science is fun. There's too much cool stuff in it. It's a matter of how we teach it. How this teacher makes climate change matter to kids. And overcrowded emergency rooms and nurses and doctors hitting their limits. Why emergency departments are in need of serious care. Right now, world leaders and climate scientists are meeting in Glasgow, Scotland for this year's UN Climate Change Summit at stake, reducing emissions and finding ways to combat global warming. In his opening remarks, the UN Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, warned we are still heading for climate disaster. Young people know it, and they do. 3,500 miles away in Fayetteville, North Carolina, kids are learning not only about climate change, but also concrete ways to make a difference in the environment. It's thanks to Denise Renfro, a 2021 recipient of the EPA's Presidential Innovation Award for Environmental Educators. Good morning and welcome to Birdland. 
It's Tuesday morning at Douglas Bird High School. Visiting fifth graders from Mary MacArthur Elementary School are learning about some cool technology. Okay, outstanding. The station's up now. So Science is fun. There's too much cool stuff in it. It's a matter of how we teach it. Denise Renfro runs the school's Academy of Green Technology. We do workshops in renewable energy, wind turbines, solar, and then we have added drones to that. My favorite is the drones that we're doing now because I used to be in drone class before the pandemic and it was really fun. I didn't even know they can turn on with computers or phones. I thought they were just controls. The wind turbines because we get to learn about different stuff and the stuff that we learned about were the, how they work and what they do for us. When it is in the wind, it actually makes music. I'm not sure if you can see it. Denise's high school students lead the workshops. Not only do they enjoy it, it also gives them valuable leadership experience. My kids spend four years studying renewable energy from the time they're freshmen through their senior year. These students live in a minority, low-income community. The school struggles with poor graduation rates and limited STEM opportunities. But the Academy of Green Technology is trying to fix that. We're a STEM academy when it comes right down to it. And kids need unique, new, different experiences. And our community doesn't always get those. You have power. I can't tell you how many of our kids have never been to the beach and we're 80 miles away. So providing not just STEM opportunities, but unique and different opportunities, my kids love it. You turn right, now we gotta go to point five. The combination of STEM and life experience prepares students for careers in environmental science. How many high school kids in this country walk out of high school with a drone license? We probably get to a thousand or more kids a year. Is how many we teach with our renewable energy workshops, right? So you guys got this covered? All right, good job. We have a live a great story wall. We want our kids to live a great story. How many high school kids do that? But great stories aren't the Academy's only success. I think 74% of my kids go on to college and the school as a whole is maybe 35 or 37 percent. We have 100 percent graduate from our program, which is also pretty good. So I consider those successes. But I also consider things like, um, besides just scholarships and graduation, they're becoming productive members of society in general. If you want, you can just try to uh, test it out now by spinning it. There's nothing more important than teaching youth about climate change and the environment. We have done a terrible job as adults. We have handed the ball to them to fix this. So I think it's imperative that we teach them. What Denise Renfro accomplishes at the Academy of Green Technology doesn't come easily. She spends hours applying for grants to supplement what the public school budget provides. She hopes that other teachers and schools will replicate the model that she has developed. Up ahead. There are less physicians on duty, so the waiting time is longer for the patients. There's ED overcrowding, and there aren't open beds upstairs. Why patients seeking critical care could wait days in emergency departments across the country. And one gym in Detroit is getting a makeover, the store that stepped in and stepped up to give kids a better place to play. To stay up to date with Matter of Fact, sign up for our newsletter at matteroffact.tv.
Even though the nation's COVID case counts continue downward, there is little relief for hospitals that are still reeling from the impact of the pandemic. Hardest hit, emergency rooms. Before the pandemic, ER departments were frequently overwhelmed by critical care needs. The pandemic changed all of that. ER visits for non-COVID conditions dropped to half of their normal levels. But now that virus cases are down, emergency rooms are on overload again. Dr. Lisa Moreno Walton is a professor of emergency medicine at LSU Health New Orleans School of Medicine. She's the president of the American Academy of Emergency Medicine. Thank you for talking with me. Um, let's begin with uh, what you're seeing right now. Why are we seeing this now jump in what's happening in the ER, including that ER boarding? Now that we're seeing less COVID patients, the sicker patients with diabetes, hypertension, COPD, all of those individuals can't stay home anymore because they're so ill. So they're showing up at the emergency department. There are less physicians on duty because of the cuts that were taken when the census went down. And so the waiting time is longer for the patients. There's ED overcrowding. And then when they come to the hospital and they're actually seen and we make a determination that they need to be admitted and they need to go upstairs, there aren't open beds upstairs. And a lot of that has to do with the nursing shortage. So there's nowhere for these patients to go. And they sit in the emergency department, as I said, sometimes for, in some places, for two or three days. To see the extended interview with Dr. Moreno, go to matteroffact.tv. And next, an ice skating rink, a multi-turf sports field, a pavilion. Those are just a few of the things a gym we profiled in East Detroit is now building. We have the heartwarming update. And finally, a really great update for you. Last July, we took you to the downtown boxing gym on Detroit's east side. Before COVID-19, the gym was home to a free after-school program where kids had access to tutoring and mentoring, meals, and of course, boxing. When all activities stopped as the virus spread, the gym transformed into a headquarters for donations, collecting food and supplies, and then delivering them to families in need. A mission the founder was proud of and that families appreciated. You are so welcome. They've always been my hero. And during this pandemic, it's even better. And um, it's, a, it's a give and take thing. You know, they, they, they give us the opportunity to work with their kids and help build a stronger community. It's all about community for us. Now, the downtown boxing gym is expanding. The Dick Sporting Goods Foundation is helping build a massive outdoor complex. This facility will have a multi-sport turf field, a pavilion, ice rink, two fire pits, and plenty of parking. It's expected to be finished within the next few months. So great for the kids and parents at the gym. That's it for this edition of Matter of Fact. I'm Soledad O'Brien, and I'll see you back here next week. If you missed our top stories about the important gun rights case in the Supreme Court, how a woman is thriving in a cranberry bog and a male-dominated industry, the students learning about climate change and the incredible teacher who makes it possible, and how overworked doctors are handling overflowing ERs, just go to matteroffact.tv. And listen to Matter of Fact with Soledad O'Brien on your favorite podcast provider. Watch us during the week on FYI, Pluto, and YouTube.